You know, tonight's psalm, it has to do with uh, the difficult trials that we're going to go through in life. And so, uh, it's kind of appropriate. If you have a Bible, maybe you can open up now to Psalm 69. As we, uh, you know, we know life is hard, you know. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, heard, I I was watching the news yesterday, and I guess they came out with a new app, Caltech came out with a new app. Now all the young people, they wake up, they're like, app? We talk about app? <laughs> there's an app for that, yeah. Um, and what it is, is uh, if there's an earthquake coming, they can actually warn you. Did you guys, anybody guys hear about that, that app? Isn't that amazing? Now you can't predict an earthquake, but uh, once it starts, wherever it starts, man, they send out the, you know, the notification. And so I don't know what that would help you do. Uh, maybe it gives you an extra 30 seconds or something, and that might be helpful. Um, but, but what I, I want to say is there's an earthquake coming. There, there's trials coming. There's, there's tough times coming. There's pain coming. There's things coming that, that if you're not, if you don't got your eyes on the Lord, you're going to tap out. And, and that's the battle. I think that's the battle. That's the battle. Because when I, because I, again, been walking with the Lord by His grace for many years, that's what I see is that when the difficulties come, when things happen that people don't understand, they, you know, they, they start getting disillusioned or discouraged. Next thing you know, they're not reading their Bibles. They're not praying. They're not going to church service. They're not serving. Next thing you know, yeah, I don't know. They're not, they don't, it's like they don't know the Lord anymore did they ever really know the lord and that's why i want to encourage you no matter what happens doesn't matter how you feel never quit never quit never stop coming never stop seeking the lord because that's the only way you lose is if you quit the earthquake's coming times that you won't feel like this whole christianity is coming Times that you won't understand, they're coming. But whenever you come across something you don't understand, you fall back on what you do understand. And, and what do we do? We just keep, you know, praying. We keep praising. We keep seeking Him. And you watch what He does in and through your life. And so Psalm 69, it actually starts with David sinking, but it ends with David singing. You know, in verse 15, he speaks of the pit. But and then in verse 30 and 34, he's lifted up through praise. Can you do that by faith today? If you find yourself sinking, can you sing? If you find yourself in the pit, would you by faith praise the Lord? We're going to see that's what we need to do. Uh, the psalm is really about the perils of King David, but it's also at times pointing to the, the son of David, the root of David. Psalm 69 is a very strong messianic psalm with numerous allusions and prophecies regarding jesus christ and you guys remember right how the lord uh, said that in, in in the volume of the book it's written of me and then he opened their eyes and he showed them in the psalms concerning himself and so we're going to see glimpses of the lord jesus himself in this psalm and so we'll, we'll see if you're going through hard times this is a really good psalm to take to heart uh, I just want to encourage you, and who knows, maybe you'll never hear my voice ag- again, because remember, 
we preach as dying men to dying men. I mean, none of us knows if we got tomorrow or what's going to happen. But my prayer is that you would never give up, that you would look up, because if you do, God will lift you up. And what we find is that God does a great work when we obey. And so, um, you know, verse 1, this is to the chief musician set to the lilies. It's a psalm of David. This guy went through so much, huh? (laughs) And he says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing or there's no footing. I I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. You know, and a good practice, you guys, I want to encourage you along the practical aspect because we all have different convictions. But I, I, I think we're so blessed in the days that we live in. Think about it. We have the Bible. You know, not, not everybody had the Bible. In the early days, they didn't have the whole Bible. You know, certain people had it. We got the whole Bible. And so, you know, there shouldn't really be a debate as far as, well, have you read the whole Bible yet? I mean, you should read it. You know, praise God that we have the Bible and, you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, remember I tell you guys, I encourage you to read a, a proverb each day to keep the devil away. Read the proverb each day. You're going to grow in wisdom. A lot of people will tell you, and it's just based on experience. It's based on wisdom. is to be in the Psalms. Let me get this real quick. To be in the Psalms every night, if you can. I would encourage you maybe to... Um, to read a couple of psalms each night because as you do, what ends up happening is God comforts your heart. And it's just so cool. Maybe I broke it. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. And so I encourage you, if you can, so you read your, maybe your New Testament in the morning, uh, maybe a proverb in the afternoon, and then at night, maybe you're in the Old Testament and you have a Psalms. Because as you're there, what you'll find is that God will comfort your hearts. So here's David talking about himself being in the waters that come up to his neck, sinking in the mire, um, deep waters, the floods. Now, um, I don't think that's to be taken necessarily literally. He's not literally in the wire, water or the mire. But what it is is a way of describing the tough times that he's experiencing. This is him hurting big time. As a matter of fact, F.B. Meyer said that this psalm touches the profoundest depths of human sorrow. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said something basically the same. He said, perhaps in no psalm in the whole Psalter is the sense of sorrow profounder or more intense than in this. And so this is like when, you know, and you guys know the the things that happen in life. I mean, I don't even want to say, but you guys know what I'm talking about. The big ones on the Richter scale. Now, some of you are in the middle of it right now. Some of you, it's going to happen, you know, one day in the future. Um, But this is really someone going through some heavy trials. The waters are rising. It's almost uh, up to his head. 
And, 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 and the reason the water is rising is because he's sinking in the mire. He's been uh, praying. He's been crying. He's been yelling. He's tired. He's got a sore throat. And his eyes are failing because he's been trying so hard through this whole thing to see where God is. And he can't find him. He's basically in a place where he's absolutely helpless. And I don't know if you've ever been there. You know, most of us, when we find ourselves in, in, in situations, I, I think a lot of us still think that there's something I can do. You know, the, the, I can do this. I can handle this. I'm okay with this. But, you know, if you ever, you know, I, I, so I went on YouTube because I'm kind of weird, and I just, sometimes I like to get visuals of these things, you know. And I just went on YouTube, and I just typed in, you know, sinking in the mire. And, uh, and I saw some pretty intense videos, not of people, but of animals. Animals that were sinking. In this, there was this one with this big old horse. It was sinking in the mire. It could do nothing. Nothing. Except, you know, pray. I don't know if horses pray. They, you know, they, they, they just, you know, they lift up. They make the noises. That, that's where David is right here. There's like nothing he could do. He's not going to try to pull strings. He's not going to try to manipulate people. He's not going to try to do it, you know, in a human way. The only one that can pull him through right now is God. And that's a good place to be sometimes because, you know, it's like that woman. I, I'm, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the Phoenician woman, Syrophoenician woman, where her daughter was uh, demon-possessed, and she goes to Jesus, and she says, hey, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus is kind of like giving her, in one sense, it seems like he's giving her the cold shoulder. It's almost like he's not really paying attention to her. You know, when he finally does, you know, respond to her, he's all, well, you know what? This is supposed to be for Israel and not, not, the, not the dogs. And then she says, well, even the puppies, they get the little crumbs from the you know, from the table, from the, from the children. I mean, she just did not give up. And as a result of that, the Lord said, great is your faith, woman. Because of that, because of your prevailing prayer, your daughter is healed. And I, and I think that that's what I see here. When I, when I see this psalm, I see David in a difficult situation where the help of man is useless. He's sinking in the mire, and so all he can do is cry out to God. And even that, it seems very difficult, but he doesn't give up. Notice verse 4. He said, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are, are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. And so... And again, maybe you think David's exaggerating, but the hairs on our head, um, depending on who you are and how old you are, they say on the average 100,000 hairs on our head, depending on redhead. Uh, believe it or not, they say blondes have more hairs. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, you know, uh, they're more than the hairs on my head, that's how many people hate me. And I, and I thought about this, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it, it's true. I mean, he could just be saying a lot of people hate me, 
But, you know, David here, he loved his country. But when Saul came against him, or maybe it was Absalom, or maybe it was a different situation, uh, there could have been the the tide of opinion that turned against him to literally, yeah, more than 100,000 people hated him. You know, and that's where... That's where he was. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think I can protect myself from, from, from a pit like this because, you know, in one sense, uh, I, I, can, I think to myself, well, if I hold to my integrity, I'll be fine because everyone um, knows I sin- I'm sincere and whatever, I'm scriptural and I'm sent from God and David was all those things. Uh, he was blameless. But he came to a place in his life where he was hated by the people that he loved. The people mistakenly thought he was a thug or a thief, and that was a very difficult place for him to be. You know, it's interesting, this was also the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Verse 4 right here, it says, those who hate me without a cause is actually quoted by, by Jesus, and we read it in John fifteen twenty four and 25, where the Lord says, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, and he's now referring to Psalm 69, verse 4, They hated me without a cause. And so David was going through some tough times. You're going to go through some tough times. But in one sense, you're in good company. Right? And so, you know, as we go through the psalm, you're going to see numerous allusions to the Lord, but, but not everything speaks about him specifically. Like the next verse in verse 5, he says, Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you and, and that's not jesus that's all david and that's all of us right we all find ourselves there in that situation you know you can't hide your sins from god right jeremiah sixteen seventeen. god says for my eyes my eyes are on all their ways they are not hidden from my face nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes and so, he, you know, God sees every single sin, right? And you guys know that? I think you guys all know that, right? But don't let that stop you from praying. And, and it's kind of cool. David here is saying, I, I'm in one sense blameless in this situation, but I'm not sinless. You know me, Lord God, and I'm just a man. But as I find myself in this place, Lord, I'm going to keep praying. And I want to encourage you to, to keep praying. You know, that, that's what David does. Look at in verse 6. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. You know, in, in one sense, I think here David prays, God, don't let others suffer because of me. And, and there's different uh, times in David's life where this was a factor. We don't know the specific situation that this psalm uh, addresses. If it was when David was on the run from Saul, it was because of David that Ahimelech, the high priest, 
And all the families there in the city of Nob were killed by Saul and that guy Doeg. You guys remember that story? And so um, sometimes, even though you're the intended target, because of certain things that happen, there's collateral damage. And other people suffer. And so David is actually praying, Lord, don't let there be collateral damage. Don't let other people suffer because of me. And of course, we know that was the case in, in other times too, whether it was Absalom or, or other incidents. And so um, David offers up next reasons for God to grant his requests, which, by the way, are the same reasons the enemy hates him. Look at verse 7. He says, Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. And so you're like, well, what's, what's going on here? It's interesting, um, David is praying, Lord, please don't let there be collateral damage. And he's going to be praying, Lord, help me. Lord, get them. Lord, intervene in this situation. What situation are you in? It could be a strained relationship. God's going to move and God's going to fix and God's going to mend. God's going to heal. I mean, we're all in different places. We're all in a battle. We're all in something. How will we overcome and, and, and we're praying and we're fighting and we're wrestling and we're, we're seeking the Lord. And like we sang the song, more of you, God, light a fire in me, God, do something here. How? And you just keep going. And, and, and then, you know, David's praying and he's saying, Lord, answer my prayer. Will you, will you move? Will you do a great, a great thing? You know, protect my, my children, Pro protect those around me. Well, God's saying, well, why should I answer you? And then David here is saying, because I'm in this situation, because of my zeal for you. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's what he's saying right here. That's the whole reason people were ostracizing him. The devil was coming against him. His own siblings didn't want to be with him. Why? It, it says right here, because of the zeal for God's house or God's tabernacle, God's future temple which in all reality would be a zeal for god like for us here it'd be cool to get a building huh who knows you know wouldn't it be so cool if one day they knocked down something way over there and we built this real big church and why would you guys want a building why would there be zeal for his house why because there's zeal for god right it's not a building it's not a house when he's talking about the zeal for the house He's talking about a real zeal for God. And, and because of that, you know, his siblings didn't want to be around him. People were ostracizing him. They were reproaching him. They were talking about him. And, and it's interesting, when you look at this whole thing right here, it's another prophecy regarding Jesus. You guys remember, this time is quoted in John 2, 13 through 17, where uh, the Passover was at hand, 
And then Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers. They were just doing business. And so the Bible says when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And, and, I, and you guys know, again, it's not the temple. It was, it was the God of the temple. It was the people that were trying to reach here. And it was a zeal for God that was so strong that it consumed Christ to move in such a way. David is saying that's where he was. That was the reason he was experiencing what he was going through. And I, and I believe with all my heart that there are some of you here who love the Lord so much. You're not perfect, but you love the Lord. You really do love him. And that's why you're going through what you're going through. Some of the big trials, some of the small trials, that's why. That's what David says right here. His zeal was real. And, and, and when you think about Jesus, I mean, he wasn't just disturbing the guys in the temple or disrupting them. He was destroying the status quo. He says, oh, no, no, no more. I'm not going to let this happen in, in my watch. This is the beginning. And John chapter 2 is the beginning of his ministry. And he said, no, this is going to be a real church. And I want to really see God move. And he does it again, unfortunately, because they hadn't changed at the end of his ministry. He cleans house again. But, but it's, that's, I pray that's our heart. But if it is your heart, then, then people are probably going to come against you because the enemy doesn't like people like that, right? I mean, look at the, the verse right here in verse 10. When I, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, you know, that became my reproach. You know, basically, oh, you're fasting. Oh, you're like holier than thou. They make fun of you for stuff like that, right? You're going to church again. You know, you're reading your Bible again. You got a Bible, you know, bumper sticker on your car, whatever, T-shirt. And believe it or not, they, they make fun of you. They talk about you. That's what they did uh, about David. And so David here is, is sharing, Lord, that's why I'm going through what I'm going through. And, and as they taught to others about David, David did what we're supposed to do. Hit him. No, I'm just joking. He didn't. <laughs> That's what you guys want to do, huh? You're, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to argue with them. I'm going to set them straight and give them 17 Bible verses or whatever. And then, no, what does David do? He prays. Look at verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O oh God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. You know, I mean, I think that what, what, what we tend to do a lot of times is we don't believe in, in God. So rather than talking to God, we talk to men. And you guys, and, and there's a balance here, but you guys remember the saying, rather than going to the throne... You go to the phone. You guys have heard that before, right? 
when God's just saying, man, and I wanted to help you. But you're trusting in men when the help of man is useless. Just pray. You know, if you pray, you watch what God does. And I'm not saying you can never talk to other people, but be so careful. As for me, he said, my prayer is to you in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy. Hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. And, and here's the thing, when, when godly men, when, when we find ourselves in the terrible valleys of life, we talk not about God, it's then that we talk to God, right? And, and David says, you know, these people are conniving and they're conversing with others about me, but as for me, Lord, my prayer is to you. Now, earlier, if you remember, David was praying and he was yelling and he was crying that it was so bad that he got a sore throat. You guys remember that? He was tired and he was looking for God and God, he just, God was not moving. He couldn't see anything, right? And, and who knows? It, it could have been, we know that David was probably in the wilderness for 10 years years it could have been that time it could have been other times we don't know but all i know is that now he says something interesting he says in an acceptable time i mean did you notice what he says right there in, in verse 13 but as for me my prayer is to you O lord in the acceptable time you know what is that what's the acceptable time and what he's really talking about is is god's time god's perfect time god is always on time. Did you guys know that? He's never late. Not like you guys, man. <laughs> we tend to be, most people tend to be late, but, um, you know, God is never late. And, and you know, he's never early. You guys know that too? He's never early. He's just always, boom, right on time. You know, and sometimes we're in the trial for quite a while and we get upset. And like I told you earlier, that's when the, the, the Lord, he separates the sheep from the goats. That's when he separates the wheat from the chaff. When you get tested and, and, and you're still there, right? Being a Christian doesn't mean you get your every desire. It, it doesn't mean that you avoid the fire or the mire, right? I mean, you might even find yourself in deep waters. We read about it here, even in the pit. But, but, but notice David's prayer. Look again at verse 15, if you would. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. I mean, he's in the pit. You might be in the pit. And David just says, just don't let it close. That's all he's saying right there, right? 
I mean, when I, when I read that right there about someone in the pit, um, and, and the, the, he's just praying, God, just don't let me you know, die here. Don't let me stay here. Uh, I think of Joseph, of course, in Genesis 37, 24. You guys remember? His brothers hated him. And so what did they do? They threw him in the pit. I, I think of him where it says, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And that must have been a terrible thing. But look at what happened to Joseph. Now, so you read that, and you're like, hey, that was pretty cool, what happened to Joseph. Well, the whole reason it's written down in Genesis 37 is for you. It is for you so that when you find yourself in the pit, and one day I think we'll all be there, you got to know, I'm just going to pray this prayer, Lord, don't don't let it close on me. And Lord, I know you're going to pull me out of the pit and, and you're going to do what you want to do with my life and there ain't nobody, there ain't no man, there ain't no devil that can stop the work that you want to do in my life. That's what happened with Joseph, right? When I, when I think of someone in this place, I also think of Jeremiah. In, in Jeremiah 38.6, it says, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. And so it's interesting to me when when you look at this, because Joseph, when you look at Joseph, he's a really good uh, example of someone who kind of gets rescued on this side of time. And, you know, he gets exalted. You guys remember the second most powerful position in the world, and God uses him in such a, a tangible, visible way. I mean, just, I mean, we could see it like a Billy Graham almost. But then when you look at Jeremiah, we don't really see that. With Jeremiah, he was the weeping prophet. Some people say that his, his ministry from a human perspective was not effective. You didn't see a ton of people, you know, coming to the Lord and listening to his message and, and getting saved. But when Jeremiah died, do you think God raised him up? Do you think he's going to receive a great reward? Do you think he heard those words, well done? You know, because sometimes you're going to see it on this side of time. You're going to see it, but not always. You know, we're in the mire and we're in the pit and we're going through hard times. And everybody's plan is different. Everyone's life is different. We got to just stay true to the Lord. You know, what we find right here is, you know, Psalm 40 in verse 2. It says, He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Listen. God will take you up out of that pit. I don't know if it's going to be on this side of time or the next, but he will and he will set you on the rock. Just don't quit. Don't split. Don't stop seeking the Lord with all your heart. David was willing to wait, but he did ask God to hurry up. <laughs> there in verse 18, I, love, I like what he reads. He said, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies you know and this whole section right here is a beautiful section Uh, this right here when i when i look at verse 18 
There's no doubt about it. It immediately morphs into more than just a man asking for physical life, temporal life. No, this is, this is spiritual life. This is his soul. We read that in verse 18. It's salvation. It's, it's redemption. We read that in verse 18. It's the word redeem, it means to buy back, right? To free from what distresses or harms. To free from captivity by payment or ransom and, and that's exactly what jesus did for us huh. and because we're not talking now it's not just about physical life i know a lot of us here we want the physical life we want those things to line up we want that to be right and that's cool it's okay to pray those things but more important is a is a soul and that's what he's talking about right here redeeming our soul that's what Jesus has done for us. You guys know that first he made us, then we went astray, and then he bought us back with his blood. He redeemed us to himself. And I read a story about a gathering of friends at an English estate, how it nearly turned into a tragedy when one of the children strayed into deep water. So the gardener heard the cries for help, plunged in and rescued the drowning child. The youngster's name was Winston Churchill. His grateful parents then asked the gardener what they could do to reward him. And he hesitated, but then he said, well, I wish my son could go to college one day and maybe become a doctor. And so he said, well, we'll see to it. And Winston Churchill's parents paid for his education. Years later, uh, Sir uh, Winston was a prime minister of England and he was stricken with pneumonia. The, the country's best physician was summoned and his name was Dr. Alexander Fleming. Maybe you've heard of his name. He's the man who discovered and developed penicillin. Uh, he was also, however, the son of the gardener who had saved Winston Churchill from drowning as a child. And so, you know, he came and, and, and he was healed. The doctor served him and ministered to him and he was healed. Later, it's interesting, Winston Churchill said, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. And yet that's who we are. First he made you and then he bought you. He redeemed us to himself. Here's David just saying, man, you know, that, that's what I need. And Jesus has definitely fulfilled that. That's what really Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, we read in 1 Timothy 2, 6, that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know, I, I don't know if you know that tonight, you guys, man, but, but I pray that it would hit home who you are, who you belong to, what he was willing to pay, how much he loves you. You know, Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and bought us with his own blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, you weren't redeemed with gold or silver or money. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's who we are. And, and so that shows his love for you, for, for me. 
I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said, a man may go to hell unsaved, but he will never go unloved. Listen, no matter who you are, I don't know for sure if all of you guys know the Lord, but man, God loves you and he sent his son Christ to die for you. Have you given your heart to him? Do you realize that he has ransomed you when you were kidnapped by the devil himself? If you haven't given your life to Christ, full on commitment. I'm not talking about being a two-timer. I'm talking about all in. I, I pray that tonight that you, that you would give your life to Christ. What love, unearned, undeserved, undeniable. As Oswald Chambers said, God redeemed the human race while we were spitting in his face. That's the love that God has for us. Here David continues to pray and make his case. In verse 19, he says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I, I found none. They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink you know here we see him you know ashamed you know people talking about him people ostracizing him people hating him people not even wanting to help him he's trying to get help comfort no one's there but you guys remember that saying sometimes you don't realize that christ is all you need until he's all you have i think we all be there We're, we've all been there before right I mean, here, right here, he, he says, you know, reproach has broken my heart. You know, God knows. Look at verse 19. You know, God knows. God knows your broken heart. He knows the heaviness, loneliness, how the help of man is useless. Now, this is interesting. It's also another allusion to the cross of Christ. Because you remember the two things that were offered to Christ, gall and sour wine. And... Um, and the first he refused because he wanted to endure the cross with all his senses, remember? And so he refused that. He was offered it. And then the sour wine, he did drink it, but it was only because he wanted to say loud and clear to Telestai, it is finished, right? But it's interesting how there's a connection here to the cross. And so when you look at this right here, David relates to the cross in one sense, and we should too. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with your cross? How many of you here are running away from your cross? <laughs> you don't want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him when in all reality that was how it all began. That's how you signed on the dotted line. You know, but that's what we need to do. David was a lot like Christ, but he, he wasn't Christ. Um, we're going to see now there's a, a what's been called an imprecatory psalm where in all reality, David now prays, God, get him. You know, and, and what were Jesus' first words from the cross? Do you guys remember? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you guys pray that when people get mad at you and do stuff to you? <laughs> so that's Jesus. Here's David. He's different. Look at David. Verse 22. Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, 
and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. For they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. An imprecatory psalm. It's a psalm that contains curses or prayers for the punishment upon those people who we might consider to be our enemies. Uh, like Psalm fifty-five, fifteen, let them go down alive into hell. Not just go to hell, help them go alive into hell. Or Psalm 58, verse 6, break their teeth in their mouth, oh God, you know. Um, sometimes people uh, pray those prayers. Do you guys... Do you guys ever pray those prayers? Be honest. Okay, sometimes we feel that way, right? And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, smash them. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we can say, Lord, I feel this way, um, but but we have to be careful that we don't do that, right? I mean, when we think of these imprecatory psalms, we have to remember that that's not God's heart, you know. Um, we have to remember that David didn't have the New Testament light. And by that, I don't just mean the Bible. I mean, David didn't see the example of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then Stephen later when he died, you guys remember? He said the same thing. Do not charge this sin against them okay so that's got to be our heart right um, but verse 28 it brings up an interesting point it says let them be blotted out of the book of the living now that's an interesting passage um you might think it, it refers to just you know that he that they lord help them die you know physically but it's interesting how he finishes the sentence and not be written with the righteous so it, I don't think it's just physical death. I think he's talking about the book that God has. It's called the book of life. You know, and, and we read it uh, many times in the Bible. Uh, Philippians 4.3 talks about people whose names are written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. And verses uh, chapter 21, verse 27. You, one day when we stand before God... He's going to open up the book. And he's going to, okay, what's your name? No, actually, he'll probably know your name. You know, and they search for your name right there. And if it's not there, it says, whoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And so it's interesting when you read this whole thing uh, about being blotted out of the book. Uh, There's two different views. Obviously, there's one that says that they at one time knew the Lord and then they... They fell away. Uh, Others say that the way it works, there are some who believe that everyone's name who's ever lived is automatically put into the book of life. And it's not until one rejects the everlasting life that God offers, it's then when his or her name is blotted out. All I know is this. You want to make sure your name's in there. And the only way your name can be in there is if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't say, well, I went to church. 
you know, you guys have heard this before, that, that doesn't mean you're saved. It's like saying going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It doesn't work that way, right? Have you really given your heart to Christ? And so we've got to finish this psalm, huh? Let me, let me finish it real quick. In verse 29, David says, But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, I love this, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those, notice, who love his name shall dwell in it. And it's interesting when, when you look at this whole thing right here, how David prays, and I believe that God hears his prayer and he's saved, I think, physically. But I think that that's the way it works spiritually as well. That when you pray that prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior, that that's how you're saved. I'll never forget when I got saved, all I did was I said a simple prayer. And that was a night that God came into my life. I think we see that in this psalm right here. You know, in verse 29, it says that, that David was poor. You know, and I don't think he's talking about, you know, physical, financial. I think he's talking about the fact that he's spiritually bankrupt. In, in verse 33, it mentions right here, the Lord hears the poor. What do you mean? He doesn't like rich people? No, he's talking about you know, those who are humble, those who acknowledge their, their need for God. I need you, God. Right? I mean, he's talking about the poor. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, are you here tonight acknowledging that you need the Lord desperately? I mean, that's the poor. You know, when he talks about here, you know, just the, the way that the Lord, in verse 33, and does not despise his prisoners, I mean, that's a, a prayer that God... You know, he doesn't look down on any of us. And what ends up happening is, you know, the Lord comes in and he just changes everything. Let me just close with, with one verse. In Luke 4.18, the Bible says, Jesus one day went into the synagogue and he quoted from Isaiah 61. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that's what Jesus does, you guys. You know, when we read this whole thing and how it all ended up, you know, praise God that, the, that you know, David and, and, and the Jews were able to live in the land. And even today, it's kind of cool, huh? They got the land again, 1948. 1967 regained Jerusalem but you guys know as well as I do that it's not just a physical land a temporal land that we're talking about here 
it's more. Just like we're reading about David and then ultimately pointing to Jesus, we're reading about a land right here that ultimately points to that place called heaven. And when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you acknowledge your need for Him, when you realize that He's the one that redeemed you, it's just so cool. You know, one day we'll be home in heaven. And I tell you what, life is good. Life is so good. But I, I just can't wait for heaven. The other day, we can have maybe the musicians come, come forward. Because you guys are probably thinking, well, that's a long ways away, right? And, but you guys know, um, we don't know, right, the day or the hour. So we were listening to a study the other day, and I, and I heard Adrian Rogers talk about how um, when he was younger, how him and a, and a friend, they were pastors in, in, in cities not too far away, but they were friends. And so they're in their, their late 20s. And so the pastor tells Adrian Rogers, hey, can you go visit this guy over here? Because he's, he's got one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. And this guy's ready to die. And so Adrian Rogers says, okay, I'll go. I'll go visit him. And he goes and he visits him and the guy accepts the Lord. And so, um, you know, praise God for that. But, but I don't know how much longer, it was just a matter of days longer, this young man who told Adrian Rogers to go, you know, and, and visit this guy who's just about to die, he has dinner with his wife, late 20s. He gets up from dinner, and he collapses, and he dies. Perfectly good health. I mean, you would have never known, right? And here's this guy thinking, well, that guy's going to, going to die, you better go visit him. When little did he know, he was the one. And that was his day. And I'm, and I'm here to tell you, and that kind of awakened me, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I think I better start cleaning up my garage and, and you know, kind of getting things squared away because I don't want my kids to have to clean up all this mess, man. None of us know where we're going to go. But you can know. Every day is a gift.